Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, where the title of the message is, The New You. The New You. And this passage is really very instructive for us because we're going to look at how God began to work in the Apostle Paul, who at this point is still going by the Hebrew version of his name, which is Saul. And we're going to watch how God develops him. We're going to see specifically the change in his life that comes as a result of his conversion to Christ. And it's important for us to see it because it tells us what happens when a person comes to Christ. That's helpful in two regards. Number one, to track our own development spiritually, if we know Jesus. Number two, if you don't know Jesus, it gives you an idea of what's going to happen in your life as you come to know Christ, and it's absolutely thrilling. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, I just bring this up because I quote it all the time during our invitation, but it's one of the great verses in the Bible that explains what happens to somebody when they come to faith in Christ. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they've come to Christ. Now, you're no longer outside of him, you're in him. He lives in you. You are a part of him. What happened to him on the cross happened to you. What happened to him in the grave happened to you. What happened to him when he was resurrected happened to you and will happen to you again when you and I are raptured and caught up to be with him in in heaven. A new body, a resurrected body. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, in other words, Get a load of this. Can you believe this? All things have become new. When a person comes to Christ, the proof is they're different. The proof is they're new. It's them, but it's new. And everything about them has changed. The old has passed away. Behold, everything is new. It's why it's called being born again. It's you, but it's like you were born all over again. It's you, but you're different. It's you, but you're new. It's an exciting thing when a person comes to Christ. And when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are four realities that become a part of our life, and they were a part of Paul's experience as we look at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. Here are the four. Number one, you get a new faith, a whole new faith. Remember, Paul has been trained in Judaism. He was an expert in the law. He was completely committed to the Judaism of his day. And in fact, just to kind of get you up to speed on what he was like before he became a Christian, what the level of his commitment was to the Jewish faith, he says the following, Acts 22 and verse 3, in his testimony as he's telling people what happened to him. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, that's Asia Minor, but brought up in this city, that's Jerusalem, under Gamaliel, who was the most famous rabbi and Jewish scholar of Paul's day. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, 
What that means essentially is he not only had the Old Testament completely memorized word for word, but he also understood rabbinic teaching and he understood the 613 laws of Judaism and he kept them. I mean, he knew it inside and out. And I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Very, very zealous. He goes on in, in another passage, Philippians 3 and verse 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. He says, I was as Jewish as they come. In terms of the law, I was a conservative. I believed it. I kept it. I knew it. I memorized it. I lived it. As for zeal, persecuting the church. In other words, I didn't tolerate anybody that tried to affiliate with Judaism who didn't follow a conservative view of Judaism. As for legalistic righteousness, in other words, as far as keeping the rules, faultless. He goes on and says this in Galatians, another personal testimony. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Then he says this, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. So, I mean, he was an all-star academically. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In Acts chapter 26, he says, I too was convinced how to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he's at. But now, Paul meets Jesus Paul's heart is transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. And look what happens. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. At once he, that's Paul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what I want you to notice. Coming to Christ changed his belief structure. Coming to Christ changed what he valued in life. Coming to Christ changed how he viewed life. It changed his priorities. It changed how he approached God. Before coming to Christ, Paul thought if he was a good person, if he kept the rules, it would please God, and he'd be good enough to get to heaven. After he came to Christ, he realized that no amount of rules will ever get you to heaven. Before coming to Christ, he thought that religion was really serving God, but was all about a lot of words. He knew all the words. After coming to Christ, he realizes that while words have a place, they need to be accompanied by a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Before coming to Christ, he thought Jesus was a heretic. But now he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, it's a massive change. It changed his view, his religious views. It changed his view of tradition. It changed his view of people. He used to believe that God really only cared about an exclusive group of people, but now he knows God cares about all people. I want to ask you this question. How has coming to faith in Christ changed you? What effect has it had on you? Because when you come to Christ, it's a new faith. 
You're not just adding Christ to your life. No, it changes you. You have a whole different view of God. Before you know Christ, you think, well, you know, he's up there. I'm down here. Maybe he's up there. I mean, there's all kinds of variations. A lot of people have the idea, well, you know, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Like, that gets points with God. I mean, which is a complete misunderstanding of, of what walking with God is about. A lot of people think, well, you know, if I'm spiritual, if I, if I do a few good things, if I'm not as bad as most people I know, I'm going to get to heaven. That will change when you come to Christ. Because you know that's not true. You see, people believe a lot of things that are not true. They believe a lot of things that will never get them to heaven. They believe a lot of things about God that are completely inaccurate. But a new faith makes God's word primary in your heart, which has this effect. Whatever it says, that's what you go with. When you have a new faith, you leave religious tradition behind because it doesn't matter what the traditions are. What matters first and foremost is, are they in the Bible? And if they're not, then they become secondary. Personal preferences become secondary. A new faith gives you a heart of compassion for people. No longer are you exclusive, but you love all people and you care for people and you believe there's no one outside of the reach of God's grace. And, and that changes how you respond to people. You believe everybody's made in the image of God, which gives them dignity, which gives them a value that is different from that of the, of the other living creatures on the earth. A new faith changes everything about how you look at everything in life. When you come to Christ, you become a new creation. You have a new faith. Number two, you have a new fight. His old fight, Paul's old fight, was arresting Christians. His new fight is seeing people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Look at it in verse 22. Yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, one of the things that should happen is you and I grow in Christ. When you become a Christian, instantly the price tags in your life change. You value different things. You, you desire the mark of a person who is truly a Christian is they'll want to know about, more about Christ. If you have no desire to know about Christ, if you don't care if your knowledge grows about Christ, then something's wrong with your faith. You have a flawed faith, maybe a false faith. Because a Christian is one as known as one who loves Jesus. And when you love somebody, you want relationship with them. When you love somebody, you love what they love. When you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. And you have to battle to do that. You have to battle your flesh. You have to battle your schedule. You have to, there is a spiritual war going on around you. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. You have to fight for time with God. You have to fight to grow in, in the Lord. Coming to Christ then becomes in some sense a fight in life where we're battling for what he's called us to do and to be. You have to fight for a good marriage. Anybody who has a good marriage knows 
I'm not talking about you having to fight your spouse. I'm talking about you fight everybody else to have a good marriage, right? You got to fight. There's a fight to raise kids who love God. It's a big fight. You have to fight to have a strong walk with God. Here's Paul, and he embraces this responsibility and this fight. And then there's a battle for the souls of people around us, because it's not just about us. It's about the world around us, the world in which we live, and us being witnesses to them. Acts 9 and verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Now, the phrase after many days is a little bit misleading because it sounds like uh, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe, I don't know, a month, two months. What we're talking about is three years. We know that because in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says this, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. So Paul is telling him, listen, I didn't get the gospel from other people. This is what makes him an apostle in the sense of being equal to Peter, being equal to John, being equal to the original 12. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So remember, Damascus is where he is saved, where he begins to preach. You know, that's where it all starts for him. But after he gets saved, he immediately goes to Arabia and later comes back to Damascus. So for three years, we don't know for sure whether he spends all three years in Nabataean Arabia or whether he spends uh, half the time there, half the time in Damascus. But he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So there's a three-year period where he is getting the gospel. Now, let me just show you this map here because this will help make sense. So there's Damascus, there's Jerusalem. All of this is Nabataean Arabia. The capital is Petra. The king is a king by the name of King Eratos IV, secular history tells us. So Paul goes from Damascus. He goes down here. A lot of people believe that he went right here is approximately where Mount Sinai is. I don't believe it's on the Sinai Peninsula. It'd be impossible to have two million people over there. But they cross the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai, modern-day Saudi Arabia. But he goes down to Mount Sinai, a lot of people believe, and that's where he meets Jesus. And Jesus teaches him the gospel. It's why Paul's, Paul's writing, a third of the New Testament, his understanding of the gospel, his, the technical aspects of grace and what Jesus did and the significance of it is, is very well developed. It didn't, he didn't make it up in his own mind. Jesus taught it to him. After he gets the gospel, apparently he's preaching around Nabataean uh, Arabia, and then he goes back to Damascus, and now he really has the gospel down, and he starts preaching again. Now, let me give you just a couple of observations about this season in his life. First of all, with all of his knowledge before he came to Christ, there was more that Paul needed to know about Christ. He needed to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, which is to say, hey, it's great to go to church, but with all that you would hear from me at church, it's not enough. You and I need to open our Bible on our own 
and let Jesus personally apply the word to our heart to grow us in our understanding of him and his work in our life. As well, if you're going into ministry, a part of the preparation for ministry is time in Jesus' presence. And second, while Paul is there in Nabataean Arabia, he is, he's preaching absolutely all over the place. Now look at it in Acts chapter 9, verse 22. Yet Paul grew more and more powerful, baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. So he's gone to Arabia, he comes back, he's preaching. The Jews are going to kill him, which is the first of 10 times in Acts that people are, gonna, are out to get him. Paul's one of these guys that everywhere he goes, he leaves awake. He's one of these guys who, who um, is probably a, a good way to say it, not very genteel. You know, don't you admire some people who can say it without saying it? I mean, you know, there's some people who they can, you get the gist, they never really said it, but they said it in a very genteel way. And then there's others of us and we just say it. And then people are like, you know, they kind of take them back. And, you know, there's some people that are just very direct. Um, if you don't know me very well, if you haven't come here very long, that's me. I just, I would love to be more genteel, but it hasn't happened yet. So, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Now, Paul writes about this same event in 2 Corinthians. He says this, in Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. We don't know if the governor prompted trying to do the Jews a favor was trying to get Paul or whether King Eratos said to the governor, hey, I've been chasing this guy. He's in Damascus. I want you to nail him. We don't know which it is. At any rate, Paul's got to get out of town. I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. This is how it goes for Paul. I mean, he is so committed to sharing Christ, he literally does it without regard to what it's going to cost him personally. In fact, he'll go over in Acts chapter 17. You see it. Here's three different versions of the verse, but it's interesting. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And then LT it says, and now they're disturbing our city too. And then in the message it says, and now they're attacking everything we hold dear. Some people are threatened by the gospel because the gospel says some things are wrong and some things are right. The gospel says not everybody's going to heaven and not everybody's a child of God. The gospel says some people are going to heaven, some people are going to hell. What you do with Jesus determines where you'll spend eternity and that Christianity is the only true religion. I realize as you say that, some of you are like, whoa, you can't say that. The Bible says that. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, period. In the book of Acts, it's reaffirmed. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only salvation in one name. That's through Jesus Christ. 
Muhammad won't save you. Buddha won't save you. Krishna won't save you. Your own spirituality won't save you. There's no other religion that will get you to heaven. And that is a fact, and that is the gospel, and that is true. And when you say that, it will irritate people. And so Paul, he's going to say it all over the Roman world, and he'll pay a huge price for it because there's opposition to the gospel. There's a fight. Number three, a new family. Look at it in Galatians 1 and verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. So he's only in Jerusalem for 15 days. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, we read, when he came to Jerusalem, so he flees Damascus, he's going down to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. This is very interesting because this tells you just how intense of a persecutor he was. Three years have passed, and people are like, I don't believe it. I don't believe he could be different. I don't believe he could be changed. Do you know what he did to people? They're not having it. They're not buying it. Only one guy in Jerusalem believes him. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Remember, we met him in Acts chapter 4. He, he had a field. He sold it, laid the money at the apostles' feet. He was such an encourager that they named him Barnabas, son of encouragement. His real name was Joseph. But they changed his name to son of encouragement. And here's Barnabas. He sees Paul. He took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. How does Barnabas know that? Because Barnabas was willing to risk to listen to Paul. If Barnabas doesn't go to Paul, if Barnabas doesn't talk to him, if Barnabas doesn't reach out to the person nobody wants to reach out to, Paul's life's going to look a whole lot different. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. This is a guy who's willing to risk. And all the time, you and I are going to meet people. We're going to come in contact with people. Are you willing to take a chance on people for the purpose of seeing them become more like Christ and become a part of the body of Christ? I mean, Barnabas knows Paul needs fellowship. Barnabas knows he needs to link Paul to his friends. Listen, one of the greatest things you can do when people come to Christ is share your friends with them. Connect people to one another. I mean, this is why life groups is so important. This is why Grow Track is so important. Because through Grow Track, you get in a ministry, you get to meet other people, and oftentimes the people you're serving with, you're going to build lifelong friendships. But it's a huge risk on Barnabas' part to do it. Are you willing to risk getting burned to see someone connected to the church? Are you willing to say, you know what? I can't answer all the questions. I don't know everything about them. And yeah, they, they, they've got a past that is a, a little upside down. But I'm going to take a chance on them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link them to friends. Because I know fellowship makes a big difference. I know that when you say to somebody, come and be a part of the family. You're a part of a family here. That's why we say welcome home. That it makes a difference. Well, Acts chapter 9 and verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Here he goes, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. 
He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. Remember, these are the same ones who, tried, who did kill Stephen. But they tried to kill him. So he had people trying to kill him in Damascus. He's got people, and within 15 days, he's got people trying to kill him in Jerusalem. And so this is, this is going to happen 10 different times in the book of Acts. How can he do it? Because he just believes people need to hear the gospel. And he just believes there's not anybody who God couldn't change, and he loves people. He loves people enough to say, I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to hear the truth. And he loved Jesus more than he loved his own life. I also think he's, as I said, a very confrontational personality. So he's not afraid to stand boldly for the truth. That leads us to the last thing I want you to notice, a new future. So he's got a new faith. He's got a new fight. He's got a new family. Now he's got a new future. Acts chapter 9, verse 30. When the brothers learned this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. You get Paul out of there and things calm down. I mean, really, there's some truth to that. He's gone. Everybody goes, okay. We'll go back to evangelizing in a less confrontational way. It's also true that probably during this time, one of the things scholars say happened is Caligula set up idols in Jerusalem and the Jews were outraged. And that then began to take their time and attention instead of persecuting the church. We read this in verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord, and the church is continuing to grow. You say, what happens to Paul in the next five to ten years? We're not sure exactly how long it is. But in the next five to ten years, he's up in Tarsus. Remember, that's where he's from. His father's a tent maker. The Tarsus is the capital of Cilicia, which is a big Roman province. It appears that Paul is going around and starting churches in Cilicia. We say that because when you get to Acts chapter 15, there are believers from Cilicia at the council in Jerusalem. So there are people that are getting saved there. But what's happening in Paul's life is God is preparing him for a world-class missionary career. And he's preparing him as a theologian. God has big plans for Paul. You remember in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. God had big plans for Paul, but Paul needs to be prepared. Even the apostle Paul, who's got his Old Testament memorized who has been trained by Jesus for three years, personally learning the gospel, needs practical time and preparation. I say that because, you know, there's, there are people that are preparing for ministry or maybe God has spoken something to your heart and you understand, wow, God's got something for me. I know it. Here's what can happen to people, though. They feel something in their heart that I believe is legitimate and from the Lord, but they try to make it happen in their own power and in their own way. They try to force God's will. If they know it, they think they should just do it. And the thing we have to remember is that when it comes to walking with the Lord, 
There is the what of God's will, but there's also the when of God's will, and the two are not the same. And there's a time of development that is necessary in everybody's life where God typically works through seasons of anonymity where nobody notices and nobody knows, and God begins to develop and pour into that person the things that will set the stage for what he wants to do later in their life. I say this because I think there are some people here today and you're in a season of anonymity and it's really hard. Because the, the promise you feel in your heart is not being realized in your life and you're wondering where's God and what you did wrong and why you haven't arrived at the place you felt God had for you in your life and nothing's gone wrong. God is at work right now. God is preparing you. God is working in your life. No one sees, no one knows. You may not even be aware of what he's doing, but he's preparing you for what he has for you. And in that moment, what's really important for us to realize is that God has a plan and God has a future. And when God opens the door, no one can shut it. And when he closes the door, no one can open it. And some of you are in that space, and it's not easy, and it's frustrating, but I want to encourage you today, just like Paul. Paul's up at Tarsus, and he's got to be thinking about the prophecy that Ananias made over him, but it's not happening, and there's no sign of it happening, and he's sitting there making tents, and he's preaching in the region, but he's not meeting with kings, and he's not meeting with governors, and he's not going all over the world. And it's got to be, it's got to be to him in some sense wondering what in the world is God doing? And it seems maybe to you, God is doing nothing when in fact he's doing everything. That those seasons prepare us for his, the plans he has for us. Jeremiah chapter 29. And if I can shift gears, this applies both to people who are waiting on God to fulfill his plans but especially I'm thinking right now of people who've never given their heart to the Lord or people who are away from him or people who are just getting started in your Christian walk. God has a plan for you. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, and you can trust God with your life. At times I have people who say, well, you know, I just don't want to give up what I've got. And, and they view what they've got as, as so valuable. And in some sense, in an earthly classification, it might be. But in terms of the big picture, it's nothing compared to God's plan. And some of you are, because you're happy with your life, you're not sure you really need a relationship with Christ. But can I tell you this? Until you have a relationship with him, until you are born again, until you rededicate your life, you'll never walk in the purpose for which you were created. And there will always be a bit of frustration because it, deep inside you, you'll know there's something more. What is it? 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, he's got plans, but until you look to him, until you come to him, until you call on the Lord and ask him to save you, you're never going to know his plans. The same thing is echoed in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What's the advance? It means in eternity before time began, God had a plan for your life. And he equipped you in your creation to fulfill his will relative to his plan. But what happens is, if you never come to Christ, if you never know him, you'll never know his plan. You'll never understand his plan. Let me add another group of people to this. All Christians fall in, in this scripture in this sense. I believe that God puts things in us that we don't know are there until we really yield ourselves to the Lord fully and say, God, it's not about what I want to do. Hey, praise God for what you feel gifted to do. And praise God for what you want to do. But if you only do what you want to do when you feel like doing it, are you really a servant? I mean, some of the gifts God has in you, you don't realize are there because you've never really said, God, if there's a need, I'm going to meet it. And I'm going to do even what I don't necessarily feel called to do, gifted to do, or want to do because it needs to be done. And I'm going to do it as unto you. And in that moment, you might be very, very surprised what happens in your life. I mean, I think of Debbie, and I've said this before, but if you'd ask me back in 2000, would Debbie be doing what she's doing today? I'd have said, uh, maybe in heaven. You know, I, I would have never seen it. I mean, when, when there was a transition in the women's department, and there were like three, they, they do an annual women's deal, they had about 350 people, and, and there was a transition, and nobody wanted to take the women's deal, and Debbie felt stuck with it. And she was like, it's the last thing in the world I want to do. I don't want to do women's ministry. Just because I'm a pastor's wife, why do I have to do women's ministry? I mean, she's, we're having this conversation. She said, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to the Lord, and maybe he'll give me a name, or <laughs> he'll do something to call somebody else. So she goes, she, she rents a hotel room. She spends the day crying out to God. She comes out of that room different, and she says, God has called me to do this. And God began to speak to her, and over the weeks and the months and the years, God transformed her into a very formidable leader, a very gifted leader. I mean, she was, she was up. Um, Friday night, she's doing these Design Sisterhood Connects, so it's kind of connecting with women across the country. So she just put it out on social media. She was up at Lee's Summit with Scott and Jen, and they had over 700 on Friday night at their connect. She's going to go to Baltimore and do it there, going to go down to Dallas and do it. So it's, but if you'd asked me, would that have ever happened? I'd have never believed it, but it all began 
with saying, God, I'm willing to do it because it needs to be done. Some of you are missing what God would show is already in you, and you're missing the opportunity to develop because you have so limited God on what you're willing to do. And I'm simply suggesting that there's some of you, and God has put something in front of you already and said, an opportunity to serve, a need that, that you see, but you're like, hey, you know, I got my life, and I, I do what I do, and, and you know, you're limiting what God could do in your life by not stepping out and serving him in an area that you don't really want to. Fair enough? Now, here's the thing about what God does in his working in us. You and I don't have any idea what God has in store for us. You just don't. We, we, we don't. I mean, we don't know what the future holds. Debbie and I were talking this last week, you know, with our 40th anniversary. We were, t- we were looking at the picture. She got the photo album out. We were looking at him and laughing and just talking about some things. And there was this picture of us getting ready to leave, get in the car. And, and um, I, I just said to her, I said, can you imagine if somebody had said, hey, before you go, let me just give you a thumbnail sketch of what the next 40 years are going to look like for you. We didn't never in a million years believed it. I mean, we, we, we loved God, but we didn't never believed it. We could never have imagined. We could never have seen it. You know, that's how, that's how God, what he wants to do in your life. There's some of you, you haven't opened your heart to Christ. Some of you are away from him and, and you have no idea what God could do in your life. And then there's a whole host of people in here and, and God is working in your life in ways you can't begin to imagine. And he's got things for you that, that if he showed you, it would blow your mind. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll close. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And it's not talking about heaven. That's true of heaven, but that's not what it's talking about here. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. God will reveal to you his will as you walk with him, as you love him, as you serve him, as you say, God, you can have all of me and all of me is committed to following all of you wherever you want to go, wherever you want to lead. It's not about me. It's about you. And Lord, you open the door. I'm walking through it because I know that when I do that, God, you're going to do things in my life I couldn't begin to imagine. But if I say no, and if I limit what I'm willing to to do. I'll miss much of what God would want to do in my life. God's got a future you can't believe. And he wants, he wants to encourage you today. He wants to challenge you today. He wants you to walk into it today. Amen.